Although there have been many interesting times in my life as a trans, queer, Catholic, one of the most interesting times was when I actually went on a work trip um, to Israel, to the Holy Land. I studied communication arts in high school after being formed by a really significant um, youth group and I wanted to use my artistic technical skills to serve the church in my adult life and so um, all the jobs that I had out of right out of college were all Catholic jobs that's what led me to be on a work trip to the Holy Land we were filming a priest who was sharing different aspects of Jesus's life. And it was while there that I basically finally like stopped like pretending, you know, whenever different things were happening, you know, I didn't try and put on my best Catholic face. I kind of just, you know, whatever was happening, I was responding to authentically. It ended up being a really beautiful time because I felt like I could finally see with eyes unclouded by any blinders of any kind. Instead of just seeing it in terms of maybe the Catholic or the Christian perspective, I could see the Muslims and I could see the Jews and just the intersection of of all these different people. I just felt like my choice my decision to be myself in that moment was like edified through the experience of seeing all those people and experiencing those things. And if you've been to Israel, you know that on some level it's a little overhyped. I mean, you know, everywhere you turn, there's a site that may or may not actually be historically relevant to the life of Jesus, but. For me, the most significant thing was when we were filming on the Sea of Galilee. And while we were on the sea that, you know, Jesus walked on and all these incredible things happened, it was there that I finally felt really free. Like my spirit felt free and open on the water. And I also just took in that spirit of freedom to really be who I am and know that God was with me. Welcome to Tabard Inn, everybody. That story was by Max Kuzma, a trans-Catholic and member of the Vine and Fig community. Welcome to Tabard Inn, everybody, a weekly podcast about the stories we tell and the events we discuss while on pilgrimage as queer Catholics. I'm Pat Gothman, a former seminarian, former monk, former theology teacher, and co-founder of Vine and Fig. Basically, I've been around the Catholic Church for a long time, and I'm kind of a baby queer. <laughs> and I'm his fiance, Jacob Flores. Uh, definitely not a baby queer, gay since... 1986, um, but I am a baby Catholic uh, as of this year, so... Just got brought into the church that yeah. Easter. 
What have you got on the podcast today, Pat? First, we're going to look at Sam Smith changing their pronouns. Then we'll talk about Pope Francis's most recent comments to reporters saying that he is not afraid of schism within the church. We'll discuss an article on the spiritual practice of noticing everything. And then we'll look at the advice of three queer students about how to make change on campus. And then, as always, we'll toast the most inspiring thing we saw all week. Okay, so for our first story, Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Sam Smith has announced that they will now use gender-neutral pronouns, they and them. They wrote in an Instagram post, After a lifetime of being at war with my gender, I've decided to embrace myself for who I am inside and out. I understand there will be many mistakes and misgendering, but all I ask is you please try. I hope you can see me like I see myself now. What do you think about that, Pat? Okay, I feel like this is really cool. I love Sam Smith. I also feel like I kind of don't fully understand. Uh, Jacob, can you help me out? Like, when Sam Smith says that they are non-binary, what exactly does that mean? So, <laughs> um, I'll explain it as I understand as a cis gay man. Okay, fair. Um, non-binary, otherwise known as NB, um, gender queer, gender non-conforming. Um, these are blanket terms often used when an individual doesn't adhere to the cisgender norms or social construct of gender, which is between the male and the female, and just those. I don't know if that explains anything. Yeah, a little bit. I think I think it's fair to to trust uh, Sam Smith and folks who say that they 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 don't fit into these normal uh, gender norms that have been passed down uh, by society. So I get that. Uh, Sam mentioned that they might get misgendered and folks might accidentally use the pronouns he or him. Like, if I'm trying to be a good member of the LGBT community, like, I'm a baby queer here, and I mess up, like, what should mm-hmm. I do? Like, I, get, I feel awkward when I accidentally misgender somebody. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good, great question. I've mistakenly done this before. I've misgendered on assumption um, and also just forgetting, um, which can go a long way. I think with that being said, a quick apology, maybe ask for clarification, um, and really just make an effort to remember to use those appropriate pronouns for that individual. That really helps allow the relationship to to have trust in one another, to say, I accept you for who you are, um, and you care for me and how I see myself. Okay, cool. Um, I think if you hear someone misgender another... That could be also a good way to help, I don't want to say correct, but help guide another person to using someone else's proper pronouns. Okay, like what? So, um, and so I'll give you a personal experience. Um, Back in Seattle, we had a few trans uh, colleagues and I accidentally used she instead of he. Um, And my coworkers would, you know, in private, and this was not, this was when the individual was not there. Okay. Um, they would say, they would just kind, kindly remind me, it's he. Got it. Use he. Yeah. This person is he. Um, and I think that really helps because it drives it home and it makes you remember it. And it shows that other people are caring and making an effort. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I guess I just want to add one thing too to this. Um, if you are curious, I think it's what you can do as a member of the LGBT queer community, to dig into it. I think doing a lot of research or, you know, looking this stuff up online for yourself can go a long way. 
I don't think that you should just go up and ask someone that is non-binary or genderqueer or trans and say, explain this to me. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that places a lot of emotional labor on them, which they've already gone through. Um, so I think the onus should be on you as an individual seeking to find this information. And if you have a close friend or someone in your community that you feel comfortable with, go ahead and ask them. But honestly, do some of the work on your own. Do you feel like the church could take some small steps to be more inclusive around non-binary folks? Like, like we have a, a very long history in the, the church mm-hmm. of, you know, like welcoming all our brothers and sisters and stuff and using language that is, I guess, very binary yeah. um, at mass. And, and in, it's usually done in an effort to be extremely welcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it's like, okay, coming from maybe not necessarily an outsider's perspective, but a, a newer perspective, mm-hmm. um, do you see that as, like, would that be a, a big ask for the church? I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, the the words brothers and sisters are kind of ingrained into Christian faith yeah. um, and daily conversations. I think it might be hard for some, especially, I mean, down here in Texas where we are. Yeah. I think up in Seattle where we used to live, that wouldn't be an issue. Right. Um, I, I feel like a lot of folks do get uh, upset at the idea of not using male, female pronouns, um, and having to use they, or not saying having, but, you know, trying to use they, them. Right. It's really not that hard. And, you know, for the folks that complain and say that it's grammatically incorrect, you'll, you'll hear why at the end of this podcast. But I don't think it's hard. I think you could just use a very simple, you know, individuals or you all, y'all, um, us. Um, it's not that hard to change your homily to, to include that. All right. Awesome. More inclusive homilies coming your way, folks. And Max, one of our Vine and Fig community members who you heard from at the beginning of the podcast, uh, he graciously made a video on pronouns and how allies can help. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, it's on all of our platforms, um, but definitely a great video. Awesome. Let's talk about Pope Francis. During his regular in-flight Q&A with reporters on his way back from Africa, Pope Francis was asked about his increasingly vocal critics, especially within the U.S., and whether he fears a schism within the church over his push for reforms. He responded to the reporters, There is always schismatic action in the church. It is one of the actions that the Lord always leaves to human freedom. I am not afraid of schisms. I pray that they do not happen because the spiritual welfare of so many people is involved. I pray that there is dialogue and that there is correction if someone has gone wrong, but the journey in schism is not Christian. Oh boy. (laughs) Hey, so, Pat... Can the church schism from them, from America? I think there's some people who maybe it's a wise decision to, to do that from, but I'm joking, no. I'm okay, so jokes aside, um, the topic of schism always weirds me out, honestly. Uh, when I started my journey converting to Catholicism, of course, the first things that came across um, online were videos and sites, uh, podcasts with a very serious overtone of... Uh, conspiracy and longing for the old days. Ah, you found Catholic Twitter. So, you, found, <laughs> you found some of our, our more vocal folks yeah. out there. But uh, yeah, these this longing for the old days, that sounds pretty familiar, right? Yeah, um, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so what does schism within the church look like today, other than SSPX? Um, do the SSPX boys take the cake for Schism 101? 
Uh, I gotta say, probably the OG schismatics are the Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm, they were like mm-hmm. the very first ones to to split off. Uh, of course, they think that Catholics are the schismatics and that we were the ones to split off for them. So actually, welcome to Ecumenism 101. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of disagreement about this stuff. Schism is is complicated, and it's it's one of those things where on there's aspects of it that kind of, on the one hand, like they feel healthy and and normal kind of like what pope francis is alluding to like people have human freedom and like if you don't believe the things that the catholic church teaches anymore like it's okay like go do your own thing like that's fine go with god like we we understand on the other hand like we pray for unity we believe in unity we believe that we're stronger together um and we don't believe that the church is perfect and we believe that it can be made better and it's going to be made better especially by folks working for reform within the church and so anytime the folks are splitting off it's hard and it's it's like i remember like i remember someone telling me once that martin luther could have been a saint francis of assisi if he had tried to work for reform within the church instead of leaving like you know he saw genuine corruption within the church he saw that there were genuine things that needed reform but he decided to leave the church instead of just continuing to work for reform within the actual uh, Catholic Church. And today, like we know him as the founder of Lutheranism instead of, you know, St. Martin Luther. It's maybe a bit simplistic, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. I also have to say that schism is something that we here at Vine and Fig take very seriously. Uh, while we are working toward and praying for reform and development within the church, especially on queer issues, like we're very cognizant of the fact that you can push the Catholic Church too hard and too fast and you end up with schism. You end up with folks who say like, yes, absolutely, these changes need to be made. They're not changing. And so therefore, like I'm leaving, I can't handle it anymore. And and that for the Catholic Church, like it's proof that something has gone awry, not that the points you were making were were wrong but that your your vision and understanding of how the actual Catholic Church works is, is is somehow been misunderstood. And so as painful as it is, like on some level, we're okay with slow change. It's a 2,000-year-old institution, um, and it can't actually update itself with by just splitting itself in two. Like it's going to take long, slow process of getting like the entire ship on board. So unity is deeply important to us at Vine and Fig. Um, that being said, good for Pope Francis. It takes some guts to say that he's not afraid of, of schism, that he's mm-hmm. not afraid of the, the criticism that's coming his way, and he's going to keep working for reform. So good on him. Come on, pragmatism. Okay, so our third story. Uh, Laura Jean Truman wrote an article called The Spiritual Practice of Noticing Everything. Acknowledging the desire to distract ourselves, even when we turn prayer or activities that try to showcase the beauty of the world around us, she writes, There is grace in noticing. Grace is not a thing we can go hunting for or manufacture. Grace shows up. Grace shows up even and especially when we have the worst motives. I've started thinking about this a lot in my tired and judgy soul when I think about Instagram culture. I am definitely and often tired of Instagram culture. We're all glued to our phones, encountering the world in order to consume it. We take pictures, commodifying our sacred noticing. We hoard our experiences, objectifying what is holy and present. When we only encounter the world like this, we aren't honoring the world as sacred. What do you think about that, Pat? 
I struggle with this. I, I think I can be very performative when I go online desiring to post something just to get the likes, just to get mm-hmm. uh, other folks' attention in some ways. Uh, I was really struck by that phrase, we encounter the world in order to consume it. We hoard our experiences. Um, I think it'd be too simplistic to say that the article is just like anti-cell phone or anti-Instagram in general. But I do think that she is onto something here. Like, I don't know, Jacob, what do you think is the difference between, say, taking a photo of something really beautiful, like a church interior, and posting it to Instagram in a way that is really appreciating it and just wanting to share what you've experienced with others and, like, objectifying it or consuming it, like she's talking about? Um, I definitely think there's a fine line where taking pictures can take you out of being in the moment. Um, But I think it comes down to intention. Um... I guess for me, like an example, at St. James in Seattle, there's a shrine of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it's, it's amazing. It's picturesque. I honestly, every time I go back, I take a photo. I just have to. Because every time is a new moment and an experience that is different from the others. Um, and for me, it's not that I want likes and that I share it on Instagram. Like I typically only will post one um, out of the handful of times that I go. Sure. Um, and I didn't even post it. I just share it. But I think for me, it's, I, it's for me, I want to share the beauty that I see and what moves me about the Catholic church. And I think that that's fine. I'm not it, like my intentions aren't to get the likes. Right. My right, intention right. is to share the beauty that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that I, I don't know. I, I kind of read this article as, um, it being kind of anti-cell phone, anti-Instagram, but yeah. I do see like where she's coming from. Um, so yeah, I agree on some points, but again, it's all down to your motive and your intention. I mean, another example is when I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral for the first time in Seattle with you. Um, New York? Yeah, New York. Um, everybody was taking photos. Right. I think for us, it was like a whirlwind of just tourists everywhere. Right. But I think... The nice thing was that you and I just walked through slowly each chapel, each painting, each sculpture, each candle we just looked at. Right. Um, And then after that, I think it was just kind of, I took a photo of what I felt moving to me so that I could look at it again. Um, And we we even took time to go and venerate the... um, The Blessed Sacrament. Yeah. Um, which they strictly said no photos. No photos. So. <laughs> no photos. Um, yeah, I think again it, uh, to reiterate, it's about your intention and motive. Um, yeah, those Instagram culture individuals can get pretty annoying and exhausting. But again, I'm in the camp of just do your do your own thing. You know, if that's your cup of tea, go for it. But just try not to get in the way of others trying to enjoy the moment. Yeah, and I think not only is intention important, but having the ability to experience it first before you try to share it exactly. with others. Yeah, um, I can I can think of times where I've gone to someplace beautiful or interesting, and the very first thing I do is I take out my phone and I try and take a photo and I try and find the most interesting spot and the the thing that is going to, you know, get those those likes or the attention of other folks. Um, and then I can think of other times that I've experienced real beauty and 
had zero desire to to share it with others but like it was just a moment that i was truly living in which mm-hmm. is what i i think laura jean truman was trying to to get at i remember when i was living as a monk in france uh i had this incredible desire to pray for other people and to stay connected to these folks who i loved back home and who i missed terribly and so this is going to sound weird but i gave each of them a the designation of a tree that I would pass on the way mm-hmm. down to the chapel for daily mass every day. And all I would do is, is reach out and like touch the tree. Mm-hmm. And like, this one was Jesse. This one was Mark. This one was Jacob. Like I would reach out and I would touch it and I would just like, remember that person. And like, not only did I have the ability then to remember and stay connected to those people in my lives but like i also like it was weird experiencing trees like just Mm -hmm. walking past and being like noticing little differences in them from day to day but also just like touching them and not having any like not walking past and also not having it be like a a kind of that consumption mentality Mm -hmm. of experiencing the beauty of them it was very weird very attentive and I haven't done it a whole lot since then, <laughs> but it was really cool. I think yeah. it was beautiful. Yeah. So you're saying that you knew you were going to meet me when you were a monk in France? <laughs> if you knew how beautiful your tree was, you would be <laughs> blown away. I'm joking. Anyways, if you want to uh, read the article, go to lauragenetruman.com. And finally, Them Magazine interviewed three queer student activists on bringing about change on campus. Nikita Pope, a student at Morehouse College, talked about embracing her trans identity and transitioning in the middle of the school year. She said, When people think of activism, they often have one image in their brain, and that's, you know, people holding up signs and chanting. That hasn't been my activism. Because, like I said, I've had to navigate very differently. My activism has looked like showing up in that space. Existing has been my activism. Coming to that campus, living in my full truth as a woman, showing up in class as a woman, sitting before the president of the school and boldly declaring who I am, that has been my activism. Amen, Nikita. Uh, I really love this. Nikita is totally right. There are other powerful ways to protest beyond marching and sign holding. Um, it's not to say that the, that type of protest doesn't hold much power, but there is something about showing up every day saying, this is who I am. Um, and it's a really brave thing to do. Uh, I feel like these are the foot soldiers, the individuals at the forefront making huge changes yeah. in personal interactions every day. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we often encounter microaggressions and hidden forms of oppression um, without even knowing it. Or often, like what I used to do, just shrug it off as no big deal. Right. And I think that in Nikita's sense of just showing up and saying, this is who I am, that is combating all of that. And I guess I want to say that, you know, showing up and being your true self um, isn't a method for everybody. You have to kind of be in the right space and put your safety first. So, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, only if it feels right for you, go for it. If not, and you're still kind of figuring it out, wait. And I just want to make clear that um, this type of protest um, isn't for everybody. Um, if you're able to safely be your full true self, then I think we have an obligation to be that voice for those who can't. And if you aren't in that space, I, I, I don't expect you to do that. Yeah. Protect um, yourself. Exactly. You like, make sure that you're in a safe space. You're, you're ready for this and pray on it. 
I feel like this is the attitude that a lot of us need to have at Mass that Nikita talks about of showing up and being your true self, being your your activism in the church. Um, and even not even just at Mass, but at other events, evolving the church and just showing up as a Catholic. Like you're saying, like there's very valid reasons that you might not be ready to come out, especially like maybe you're employed by the church or you're still dependent upon non-affirming parents or anything like that that says like get to a place to where you're going to be okay before maybe you commit to any of this. But if not, like just being present in the church as your queer self, like it's going to have such a huge impact. Like that is activism. You don't have to wear a rainbow sash or perform a die-in like snap-in at St. Patrick's Cathedral in the 80s. Like, just be fully you and don't hide it. Nikita said, existing has been my activism. Like, for so many folks who assume that because you are queer, therefore you're not Catholic, like, show the rest of the church the truth. Yeah, definitely. So I think if you're able, be upfront, show yourself, and you show that you are just like all the other people in the ch- in the church. So... Absolutely. Ugh, I'm going to cry. Um, so what are we toasting today? Or who are we toasting? Uh, I'd like to raise a glass to a theatrical play that I read this week called The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. It was written by Stephen Adley Gurgis. <laughs> I wish I could say that right. Um, it's a really interesting play. It kind of takes place in purgatory and is a trial of Judas. It's the most compassionate and uh, one of the most extraordinary spiritual works that I've ever read. I cried several times. Uh, it's very short. Definitely go pick it up because I was blown away and it completely changed my perspective on, on Judas, but also on myself as a sinner. So Lady Gaga was onto something then. Lady Gaga was very onto something. Watch <laughs> out. Um, I'm excited to read this. I'm a quarter way through, but it's already great. So I'm ready for the tears. I'm shouting out Merriam-Webster, the dictionary. Ooh, the dictionary. Yeah. Uh, for adding a new definition for the word they. Um, as they put it, a single person whose gender identity is non-binary. You know, a lot of folks will moan and groan about having to use they, them in context of an individual. Um, and say that it's grammatically incorrect, and as I said before, well, here you fucking go. Oh, the definition has corrected you. Exactly. All right, well, that's it for Tabard in Elsewhere on Vine and Fig. We have our weekly Sunday project that we are continuing to roll out. Uh, it's a basically a homily written by Vine and Fig community members. Uh, for anyone who you don't feel comfortable attending a church or maybe you don't hear affirming homilies, go check it out. It's on our website. Patrick and I were also interviewed on Kevin Garcia's podcast, A Tiny Revolution, recently. It was a really fun conversation. You can go check that out. If you'd like to submit a story for an upcoming episode of Tabard Inn, email vineandfigco at gmail.com. And in the subject, just write Tabard Inn. T-A-B-A-R-D-I-N-N. I guess if you misspell it in the subject line, we'll still know what you're talking about. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh, that Tabard Inn. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to uh, Patreon for Vine and Fig. Um, If you support us, you get a handwritten thank you note. You can get a sticker, even a Vine and Fig (laughs) t-shirt. 
Jacob and I are also probably going to do a Q&A podcast, especially for the patrons on there featuring your questions. So go to patreon.com slash vineandfigco if you want to support us or submit a question. Also, if you can't support us there, absolutely no worries. But leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help us get found by other queer Catholics and really help spread the word for folks who... Maybe need a little affirming energy in their life these days. Yeah, and not have to go through what I did and find all these uh, crusade podcasts that called for a schism and uh, asked for me to join the SSPX brothers. All right, y'all heard it first. In order to avoid the schism, go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) See ya. Bye, y'all.